little later than usual, but uh, happy to be back and in serious need of a drink. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 279 of the internet's longest-running English-language Argentine football podcast. We can't say that we're the internet's only English-language Argentine football podcast anymore, uh, because Yusuf Amin, our um, regular listener and question-asker, as those of you who are Racing fans and who are on Twitter will probably be aware, has been running for several months a Racing in English um, unofficial account, and at the weekend he launched a Racing in English podcast. The first episode is up on SoundCloud. Um, I recommend that you go and check it out. I'd have to admit I haven't actually had a chance to listen to it myself yet, um, but it promises to be very good. It features our own listeners, Darren Paul, as well as uh, Yusuf and a certain Sebastian Garcia, who is a long term, long time ago um, Hand of Pod alumnus. Uh, and who we'd love to have back on any time, but um, it's easier for him to record from his living room on Skype, and we don't allow that here on this podcast, because we're too into the quality that is available um, by recording in the living room. Together, I mean. Uh, I am joined this week, as I was last week, by Andres Bruckner. Hello, Sam. Welcome um, back, Andres. Thank you. So, you must say now that Hannah Pod is the finest and first uh, podcast about well, football, Argentine football in English. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I, I'm not going to say best because, as I said, I haven't listened to the Racing one yet and I, I, I'm slightly scared that they might be better. But we have some competition. Fortunately, they are Racing only, of course, so we're still the best well, It's easier league-wide. To, to, to record a podcast about only a, a, a single team. Uh, when Here we have questions about Primera B Nacional, the ones yeah. we, we can't so, answer, perhaps, certainly, because we have to cover 14 matches already a first division so it's hard to also uh, have a, a, a great idea or a good idea about what's happening in the Primera B Nacional which kicks off this weekend it has, hasn't already been played this year but uh, it's hard to, to cover all of that and well when you have to cover or you cover uh, only one team because you are a supporter of that team well it's I think I think things are a bit easier yeah, pouring cold water on their efforts here, Andres. It's, it's still a, a wonderful idea that they've had, and I hope that it goes yes, well for them. Of course. There's no bitterness here, gents, honestly, in spite of what you just heard from Andres. Um, we're going to start off with a list of the results from the Primera, the Superliga. I have to get back into the habit of calling it that. Um, and the weekend just gone. They went as follows. Uh, just after we recorded last week, Independiente and Rosario Central drew 1-1 last Wednesday night. Um, obviously, I mentioned that at the end of last episode, but we didn't get a chance to actually talk about the game. Um, we still can't because I don't think either of us saw it. You didn't watch it afterwards, did you? No. No, not at all. Um, to get the uh, uh, to complete round 11, which was postponed, of course, from when Independiente were in the Copa Sudamericana final in December, 
And then this weekend just gone, we had the following results. On Friday night, Godoy Cruz got a 1-0 win over Chacarita Juniors in Mendoza. Tigre lost at home 2-1 to Banfield. Goals from Two goals from Darío Spitanich, if I remember correctly. Yes, Darío Spitanich. Um, one, no, one was from a penalty kick mm-hmm. and the other one from Tigre was... Yes, uh, there were two penalties in that match. The one from Tigre scored by, by Luna and the one from Banfield which was scored by Svitanic. Yeah, and Svitanic also scored a, another penalty on Tuesday evening um, when Banfield played the first leg of their Copa Libertadores qualifier. It, there is the second round yes, of yes. the qualifiers now because the first round was played last week, wasn't it? First well, legs on Monday, were, last, second legs on yes, Friday. Yes, that's strange. A, 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 a round or a leg played on, on Friday but it was because of the times, I mean, I... Yeah. I, I I suppose. Yeah, and, and because the first legs were on Monday, they wanted to get the whole phase played in one week, which I think makes a certain amount of sense when it's only a few teams involved and uh, most of them aren't in league action at the moment at this time of year. Um, so anyway, it's, it's been a good weekend from the spot for, for Svitanic. Um, Banfield got a 2-1 win away to Tigre, as I mentioned. Tacheres beat San Lorenzo 2-0 in Córdoba, um, also on Friday night, which obviously opened up an opportunity for Boca Juniors. We'll see how they did in a minute, when I tell you. Defensa Justicia lost 1-0 at home to Belez Sarsfield in Gabriel Heinze's first match, or first competitive match, in charge of Belez, also thanks to a penalty, which was scored by... Oh, I don't remember. Mauro Sarate couldn't play because his um, FIFA... Paperwork hadn't come through to confirm the... I think it's a loan from West Ham. Uh, it has come through now. I think it came through on Monday. So he's going to be available for next Monday's match, uh, which is away to Chacarita. Um, the penalty that Independiente won the match with was scored by... The page is loading now. Luis Amarisha, after 28 minutes. Um, also on Saturday, Newell's Old Boys got a 2-1 win over Arsenal with a very, very late winner. Uh, Lanús and Patronato drew 1-1. Boca Juniors beat Colón de Santa Fe 2-0 with a goal after about two and a half minutes from Cristian Pavón and a second one in the second half from Naitan Nandes, which was a really nice finish. That puts Boca, because of San Lorenzo's defeat on Friday night, six points clear at the top of the league. Um, and then on Sunday, Olimpo 1, Belgrano 2 in Blanca, Argentinos Juniors 2, San Martín de San Juan 0 in Villa General Mitre which is where Argentino Stadium is, because it's not in La Paternal, in spite of what Argentino but you, will what, tell you. What do you say when the Spanish-talking supporters of Argentino Juniors say that they are from uh, supporters of Los Bichos de La Paternal? Well, I'd say that, you know, historically speaking, they're right, but if they, call, if they claim that Argentino Stadium is today in La Paternal, then they need to look at an updated map of the city of Buenos Aires with the barrios marked on. Okay. And I correct myself because it's Bichos Colorados, of course, which meant red mm. bags. Um, it's, it's the same as when yes. people say that Rivers Stadium is in Nunez. It's yes. kind of, yeah, historically maybe it was at one point. Well, actually, I don't think Rivers ever was. Um, but, you know, it, it actually isn't. Um, Huracan 1, River Plate 0. Uh, that was a penalty as well, wasn't it? There were lots of penalties this weekend. Um, in a, a performance I'm sure we're going to go into in some detail in a minute because it was pretty poor from River and Union 2 Racing 1 those were all on Sunday and then on Monday Atletico Tucumán got a 3-0 win over Temperley Gimnasia y Grima La Plata got a 2-1 win over Rosario Central in La Plata and in Avellaneda 
Independiente's unbeaten run, which was the longest in the Superliga, uh, eight matches, league matches, obviously plus the two Copa Sudamericana final legs, um, came to an end as Estudiantes beat them 2-1 in a pretty good game. Entertaining. Yeah, I I was slightly delirious whilst watching it because I had the really clever idea on Monday night of almost slicing the top of my finger off. Oh. Yeah, looks nasty, doesn't it? It, it, it took about an hour to stop bleeding and um, so I was uh, not really in the mood to pay full attention to the match because and I did it during the match um, but uh, I managed to watch or pay attention to most of this match because one of the, the plus points of having the new um, football package this season is that they repeat a lot of the games at various points so if you don't manage to catch one you can watch it again later um, and I tried to make a point of, of watching Independiente Estudiantes or at least putting, you know, paying half of my attention to it um, when it was repeated yesterday because I wanted to um, get an idea of what to say now first of all though I think we need to talk about River because Marcelo Gachardo back in December said that uh, he was going to go away and spend the summer. He said he wasn't going to go on holiday if it was necessary. He was going to come up with a new way of playing and new strategies. And no, nothing got changed. It, it looked exactly the same to me. I mean, yeah, you can say, well, the new players weren't ready to, to play in the team. Herman Lux was in goal. Um, the, the strike force was Ignacio Ecoco and uh, Rafael Santos Borre because Lucas Prato wasn't ready to start although he did come on for about the last 15 minutes so he made his River debut um, but you know, even with the same players surely you'd expect a different approach and there wasn't really a different approach it was particularly in the first half no real numbers going forward just hoofing it up to the strikers who were isolated uh, in the second half that improved a bit but that was partly because they were chasing the game by that point uh, Finally, no, no new players were at least from the beginning of the match against Turagan, only uh, Lucas Prato came uh, when jumped into, the, into it when there were 22 minutes of the second half, I think. It was 25 minutes, uh, minutes more or less, that he played, and he couldn't do, do much. Mm. As Turagan was well, well uh, uh, stood in the, in, the, in, the, in the match and, and didn't uh, uh, give River a lot of space to, to play. Of course, they were winning. I mean, the second half, and uh, well, River we, we continued with the same problems that uh, uh, finished the, the, the last year, in which Gachardo said that you uh, you have mentioned that they will come back uh, from vacations on holidays with new, uh, perhaps uh, uh, another motivation with with different uh, 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 at least uh, self-esteem and well, no. Uh, Nothing happened. Nothing, nothing like that happened. And uh, with a simple mistake or only a single mistake uh, made in the match, it, it was enough for River to fall or to, to lose the match. And that is, I think, the most thing. The thing that uh, most worries me is that a single knock is a knockout. Mm. Uh, they can't recover. They they have chances to score, but they aren't fine with the with the final touch. With the with the well to put the, the ball in the, into the net and and I think that's uh, the, the the main point because if you don't score goals you can't win it's obvious yeah and and I think it's almost a problem as well that when they do get ahead they're often quite good um, because it kind of masks that a lot it, it makes it you know next week if they score first they'll probably win the game and 
people will be saying, oh, what crisis, what crisis? Well, in fact, that would just be masking over the fact that actually they do need to, to have a look at how they're playing. Um, and a little bit of maybe self-awareness and self-criticism might not be out of place as well at times. I mean, to me, it looked like a penalty. Um, but Marcelo Gachardo at half-time made a big show of walking over to the referee when they were leaving the pitch and telling him it wasn't a penalty. And then afterwards, the excuses are all, oh, but they got a penalty which they shouldn't have been given. I mean, it doesn't change the fact that you've just that your team were playing dreadfully for 90 minutes. Um, and, and it's sort of it's more of the same, and it's not something that um, is particularly nice to to watch. It I mean, it's something I would be complaining about, you know, regardless of who it was, obviously. But the fact that it is the club that I. Uh, support or yes, stick up for in Argentina it just makes it more frustrating to me really he's doing to the media the same things that other coaches do uh, and that that is something that he wasn't us- uh, he didn't usually do which is to which is to complain and to say that uh, certain players that were awarded for the rivals weren't uh, or, or, or were wrongly awarded by the by the by the referee I think that uh, behind uh, of the record, or when they are uh, along with the, he's along with the players, there is self critics. There are self critics, and, and they, they say that, or at least he says to the players, well, we have to change a lot of things that they, we are not playing well, or we are not being capable of recovering from a from a goal, from a single goal, which is one nil only. Uh, of course, you have to score two to to, to turn turn around the, the, that result, but it's not impossible. And for River today is it is or it looks like, Indeed. and uh, with mistakes in the in the defense or not being sure even when they are not making mistakes, um, and with some something that is, I think it's a problem in, in all of the all, all of the lines. Uh, they are not uh, sure or secure in defense. There are lack of, there is a lack of creativity or, or to uh, making uh, something different in the midfield. And they are not scoring goals in, in attack. I mean, in, I think all of the lines have problems. And with, when something like that happens, a, 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 no, a normal team or a team that is have, has some sense of order, like Huracan, which is a, perhaps a tidy team, a team that doesn't do great things, but uh, with a single ball in the box, they were able to win the match. Because mm. after that, after the penalty that they have... Uh, they, they were awarded and, and, and was scored by. Uh, well, now I forgot who was the one who scored. Um, Hang on a second, I will tell. Toranzo, I think that could have been. Patricia Toranzo, I think it was, wasn't it? Well, uh, after that, Huracan was of course defended at that advantage, uh, trying to, to to move the ball and doing uh, little things apart from that. Ignacio Puseto. Ah, Puseto, sorry. Um, so that's a problem for River because uh, mm. t- teams that, as I said, doesn't do a lot of things to win the match, they win it. Yeah, and, and that was the other. Yeah, I mean, as you say, Orakan didn't create very much. They didn't really do very much, but they didn't have to. And in spite of that, in, in spite of the sort of lack of actually being that impressive, they still deserved the win. I thought at the end of it, they, they were the better team, um, even if they didn't spend as much of the time attacking. Um, We'll move on to River's main rivals, Boca Juniors, who are 18 points better off than them now in the league table after a 2-0 win over Colón. The first half was a really, really good game, I thought. 
Um, I ended it feeling quite smug about the fact that uh, immediately after Christian Pavon opened the scoring two and a half minutes in, I put a small bet on under two and a half goals because that was what I had predicted for my um, Chinese betting preview before the game. And I thought, no, I'm going to show some faith in myself. It was a very, very, very small bet because I I bet tiny amounts of money just for fun, really. Um, And it came off. I was sweating a little bit when they made it 2-0 with about 20 minutes to go. But Colon did be proud in the end and, and held them out. The first half, anyway, I thought was was a really decent game of football. Pavon um, scoring so early, sort of, it always threatens it a little bit, particularly when it's the home side, particularly when it's the home side who are in such good form as Boca are. Um, but Colon came back at it and, and sort of had the better of the first 20, 25 minutes, really, slightly. Not, not by an awful lot. Um, but, but they were spending more time around the edge of the Bocca box that Bocca was spending around the edge of Colón's box and then in the second half of the se- of the first half as it were um, Bocca came back again and, and it turned into a sort of really good end-to-end encounter until pretty much until Nandes had made it 2-0 with as I say with 20 actually 25 minutes to go it was 19 minutes into the second half that he scored with a really nice um it wasn't a one-two, was it? It wasn't him who gave the ball no, because to Tevez and pass, but he was running past Tevez. I think really Tevez nice wanted to continue the, with the play, but uh, the, he was tackled, or well, he was stopped in uh, when, when he was running, and the ball was there then from for Fernandez, who well, of course, uh, put it, chipped it through uh, the Colón goalkeeper, and yeah, was in Alexander. Dominguez, um, yeah, the Ecuadorian yeah. international. I was desperately trying to remember his name because for some reason the starting yes. 11s on this page are not loading for me. So yes. uh, we're playing blind here. I think that uh, Boca is the opposite to River. They, with three simple touches, they create an, a goal opportunity and they are accurate. Yeah, uh, uh, but also they, they have a clear plan. When they get forward, not on the counter, but because the player is bringing them forward, they're attacking in numbers. You have midfielders arriving in the box, which is not happening for River at all. Um, and and they have individual quality as well, which, in theory, on paper, River have, but River have not been displaying that at all. As, as the old cliche goes, football isn't played on paper. Um, and, and, and Boca have been able to, to meld something together that... Uh, it, it's it's impressive to watch. This is the other thing because a couple of years ago, when they won the 2015 championship, when when Tevez was last with them, um, they frankly weren't weren't that pretty to watch. And I, it, for most of my time watching Argentine football, actually, it's one reason that it's been fairly easy for me to uh, say that I'm a River sympathizer all along is because Boca, frankly, I mean, yeah, they won a lot when I was uh, when I was first getting into Argentine football, but they were never that yes. pretty to watch. And even not being brilliant in defence, yeah, uh, they are not. Uh, in a worry, they are not uh, uh, yes worried because they they can concede goals like River. Yeah, exactly. Now it's uh, a wo- yes they, they have the the problem that a single goal that ha- that that concede and they don't know whether they will be able to to, to get the equalizer. Um, and let me say just two more things about River because when you mentioned the points that mm. Boca has advantage. Uh, or Boca uh, has ahead of River, which is 18. River now has nine points to go to the last team to qualify to the Copa Libertadores. And now they will be, if they continue like this, will be again like they did in 2016, sorry, 2017, to win a cup, uh, which is Copa Argentina or Copa Libertadores, to qualify to the next 
Copa Libertadores. Yeah, indeed. Uh, of course, you you must uh, perhaps want to win, but when you are like in the position that River, which is 20th, with only 15 points, uh, 18 to reach Boca and 9 to reach the one, the last to qualify to the Libertadores, uh, they have yes to think now, even when they have still they haven't still played a single match of the of this person Copa Libertadores. Mm. But it's a problem that, that they will have if they continue with this streak. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, I mean, th there's a, a difference, I think, in in um, mindset as well, in mentality, because River reached the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores last season, um, last year, sorry, this season. It's very confusing. This season or last season. Yes. The Libertadores started last season, but it ended this season, but it was all last year. But anyway, yes. you know what I mean. Um, but they did that by completely ignoring the league. Whereas, I mean, Boca are admittedly starting from a much higher position in the league, but I, they're clearly going to focus on the Libertadores as soon as it gets underway. I find it difficult to see them dropping off their league performance as much as Rivers has. Because when you watch River in the league, when they're involved in the Libertadores, I mean, it, it's just it's the most boring thing in the world to watch them in the league. Um With Boca, I think there are still going to be competitive games. They're still going to be trying to win. And with River, it looks like they're not at all interested. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's kind of frustrating because I always say it would be really nice to see one of these teams, any of these teams, because, as I say, Boca are going to focus very heavily on the Libertadores and it will be at the expense of a league campaign um, when they get into it. Um, you know, it, it may or may not scupper their chances of winning the title because by the time the Libertadores group stage starts they might very well be 9 or 12 points clear or something if San Lorenzo drop more points um, so they might win the title anyway but they, they will be putting all their eggs in the Libertadores basket um, And there it, is a, it would just be yes. really nice if one of the top teams in this country yes. would try to go let's try and win everything <laughs> Let, let's try and win the league and the Libertadores But I mean, the league a, is so they assume that they can't. That they are, it's difficult and it's well, very even. I, I, I think there's there's maybe some of that, and there's maybe some of the fact that Boca and River certainly have both won so many league titles, and they don't really care about the league. In River's case, especially because they've won a lot of league yes, titles. But they will but, have to because you know. uh, at this point they are not sure. Mm. I mean, qualifying to the next competitions when it, perhaps it's say, silly to say oh we, right now we are not qualifying to Copa Libertadores 2019 when we haven't still played 2018 no, exactly. but uh, it's something to worry about for the next matches because the, the performances and the results aren't, aren't as good as uh, to think that or to be uh, at ease and say well there is time to go mm. uh, and another thing that I wanted to say it's about the signings the new players You sign players that aren't okay physically, and yeah. you have to wait for them two, or three weeks, and it's I think it's useless. So some of that is also because they yes. took such a long time in signing them yes. in the first place. I mean, Armani said goodbye to the Atlético Nacional fans on like was it before Christmas, something like the twenty second yes. of December or something, and, yes. and actually ended up signing his River contracts like two and a half weeks later. Um, because after making all this big song and dance, River decided to fanny about with the the, the terms they were going to pay Atletico Nacional on. Uh, when when the actual amount of money they were going to pay was all fine and agreed, and they weren't disputing that, they were just no, we'd like to pay this over six months instead of. Three similar months. thing with Prato. Si yeah. uh, similar thing with Quintero, who uh, has, has to go under yeah, three or four kilos really to fat. be fit. Yeah. Um, 
But anyway, the better news for River in the transfer market is that uh, today the Mexican um, transfer window has closed and Jonathan Maidana remains a River Plate player. Uh, He was expected to move to Toluca today, Wednesday, um, but he has stayed with River, so that's a boost of of sorts. Anyway, we will move on because we don't want to be. Your face, (laughs) Yeah. I realise yes. that you're annoyed about Alario. I, I still yeah, it's it's a it's a joke. Of course, yeah. anyone has they will the the right to play well when they want. Of course, if the transfer window in Argentina has already closed and you go away or it's about to close and you go away, well, it's you can say that he could have done things differently, but yeah. it's not that he's a bad guy and and it's a his exactly. role. It's, it's it's over. It's he's also received a life changing contract offer, and you know one that might set his family up financially for the next couple of generations. Uh, who can blame him for going? But anyway, we will move on now because we don't want this okay. to become the River and Boca podcast. Yes, and we have been going for twenty five minutes already. Oh, it's not River and Boca in English. No, I'm oh. afraid not. Somebody else needs to to start that podcast up if they want, and we will take them on and destroy them, crush them under in, in, under our heels. Um, please don't. Please don't start any podcasts if you're planning on making them better than this one. Um, Tacheres against San Lorenzo. I have to admit, I didn't see because I was in the pub. Um, I did see that San Lorenzo had two players sent off, Gonzalo Rodriguez and Alexis Castro. By the time they had the first of those sent off, Tacheres were already 1-0 up. um, And the second one came much later on. Lucas Olasa and Aldo Araujo scoring for Tacheres. And it's an interesting one because San Lorenzo, of course, in in the transfer window... Um, basically went I mean well they didn't have any money so they didn't have much choice about it Um, but they opted for stability with a team that was already in very good form playing really really nice football Um, I think some of the best football in the league um, during the first half of the season slash second half of last year Um, and Tacheres were adapting to life without Emmanuel Reynoso who was signed for Boca Juniors since we last recorded to life without Jonathan Menendez, who we mentioned last week, had signed for Independiente, centre forward. Um, two really important players. Sebastian Palacios, who wasn't that important. But oh, I forgot about Palacios, also. yeah, as well. Yes. Um, really important players for them. And, yes. I mean, the performance from, from the snatches I've seen and from the statistics that we're looking at now, it, it was decent. They outshot San Lorenzo, they outpossessed San Lorenzo, they did a lot more with that possession as well, and they also managed to draw two red cards out of them. Um, the, the, the moments I watched because I watched parts of, of that match, uh, in were, I, I said he were they were pushing hard when when they had eleven when Sarenzo had eleven ten or nine men that was independent independent of the number of players that Sarenzo had in pitch and after and incredibly or not that incredibly when Sarenzo suffered that sense of sending off. Um, they were like relaxed and this San Lorenzo even when the match was 1-0 went with, with nine men to have clear chances to score mm. I mean to equal, to get the equalizer and um, Guido I don't remember the surname of the goalkeeper of Tacheres uh, oh, give me a second Herrera Herrera yes thanks I am forgetting a lot of surnames but uh, Guido Rodriguez Guido Herrera sorry Rodriguez Guido Herrera uh, saved a very very difficult ball and after that Tacheres finally got, got the, the Chonil but uh, when the match was nil-nil Tacheres was clearly be- better I think yeah. uh, pushing with the moving the ball and pushing hard in the uh, like the best moments that Tacheres had 
when they had I think uh, just uh, promoted that had very good games with the people uh, uh, getting behind also, also pushing yes yeah. uh, uh, so uh, the, the, the parts I watched of the match uh, Tachez was good after uh, incredibly being with two more men yeah. uh, when that uh, happened they let San Lorenzo come to their box and, and very dangerously and and finally well they uh, got the the relief relief with with the Chunil by Araujo. Yeah, um, and another player who was singled out for some praise afterwards uh, was Pablo Guinasu. I, I saw a fantastic quote from him afterwards. One of the television interviewers or somebody asked him, uh, "He really thirty nine, Pablo?" And he went, "No, that's not my age. It's a three point nine liter tank that I have in here." Yes. yes. Uh, so well done him. Um, and well done Tacheres in fact who well we'll give you the positions in a minute but if I remember rightly they're up into the top I think they're third now aren't they off the top of my head not well done for the for the league or for the Superliga because they let San Lorenzo two uh, six points away from Boca but fourth behind Union of course so we might as well speak about now in that case Um, Union got that's next week's results for uh, fixtures Union got a 2-1 win over Racing, so this fits nicely in with our normal tour around the Big Five before getting on to the others, um, because this happened in... I'm trying to remember this game. Once the statistics load, I'll start to. I remember that the winner was a really good one. Oh, right, sorry, this was on a really mental Sunday evening. It's coming back to me now, because Huracan versus River was supposed to kick off at 7.15? Yes. Yeah? Um, And... Thanks for that. And ended up kicking off at ten past nine um, because of a bomb threat at the Thomas Duco Stadium, um, which meant that um, these two games, which were not supposed to overlap on the television schedule, did overlap. Uh, Union against Racing kicked off at its normal time, fortunately, half past nine, otherwise we'd all have been up until about one o'clock in the morning watching it. Um, and Union got... From what I saw, because obviously I was mostly watching Oracan River, Union got a, a pretty well-deserved win. Racing looked chaotic and, and couldn't do an awful lot. Um, they did take the lead quite early on. Diego Gonzalez headed in a corner uh, after about 14 minutes. Um, Union had a penalty saved from Lucas Gamba in the 26th minute, and then they scored a penalty through Franco Saldano in the 37th minute, and the winner came from Diego Savala, who... I thought it was a really nice move, actually. It sort of cut down the left, and then the ball got cut yes. across the right and put at Savala's feet, and he cut inside and, and hit it from but just outside great, the box. The great play was from the... I think it was Piton. Yeah, Ma- Mauro Piton, whose yes. who's, uh, name my girlfriend heard for the first time, and um, she found it... She left. She, she's having a difficult time working out whether she likes that one or Telechea more, um, yeah. in terms of silly surnames. That yes, in Spanish, played. if you say Piton and Telechea, yes, it's... Yeah. Funny. There are sexual overtones, let's say, um, and we'll leave it at that because this is a family podcast. But there were, in fact, two pitones on the pitch for Union: Bruno at left back. There were a joke beforehand when Lamela was playing for River and, and, and Telechea. There was a Telechea at Kilmes saying that Lamela and Telechea, and also they are sexual sexual terms. Yes, um, Mauro Piton was in central midfield, and as, as Andres says, he played a big part in that winner um, scored by right winger Diego Savala um, 
Lucas Gamba didn't have the best game. I think I think it was quite nicely summed up really by his saved penalty. Um, but Franco Soldano is now the leading scorer now in the Superliga. I think. I think Let's still is Benedetto or he had perhaps. Joined. Oh no, sorry, he's he's one behind Benedetto, so he's got seven. Sebastian Ribas, who also who scored for Patronato, um, has seven, and Nicolas Fernandez has seven. Um, We'll get on to Patronato in a minute, but Ribas' goal is his seventh in 13 matches this season in the league. I looked up, because I thought, I've not really heard of this guy before this season. He's from Uruguay. So he's Uruguayan. He's spent a long time in sort of what you might respectfully call second or third tier leagues in Europe, from what I can remember of his Wikipedia page. And if the stats on his Wikipedia page are accurate, he has scored and worked out about 8.2% of all of his career goals. He's 29, so he's been around for a while. Um, and about 8.2% of all of his career goals have been scored this season in the Superliga oh. for Patronato. So we're not talking somebody who has had a really prolific career. Um, it's it's a bit weird that he's scoring quite as freely as and he is. And Nicolas Fernandez, who's having a fine campaign with Defensi Justicia, they're the ones who are going to overhaul Dario Benedetto um, at some point, probably in the not-too-distant future. But anyway, sorry, back to... Union Racing because Union as we said are, are having a really good season they are third in the table we were talking about them earlier in the season um, and they've managed to carry it on into the new year um, it was helped admittedly by a Racing performance which was really flat but which you would think is going to get better because it's Chacho Caldet's first match in charge of them and there were some things that he liked there were quite a lot of things after that he said he wasn't so sure on but that he saw things that he was going to work on right and uh, he was the opposite to Gallardo in terms of the critics that he said uh, he talked when well, of course when the match ended saying that this match the match like this can't happen again something like that which mm. is of course hard but he didn't say of course uh, players can't be an- annoyed because of that because he didn't say uh, that there were problems in the defense or problems in the attack they, he said that there were general problem problems that they have to solve immediately, even when it was only his first match in charge. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they have, uh, well, because I, I talked about River having only Prato 20 minutes, uh, the new signings. Uh, I, I watched, at least I remember having watched Donati playing. Uh, did another player of the new signings have times? Uh, uh, well, the, Ricky Centurion uh, um, yes, started on the, uh, on the left wing. Um, he was subbed off after. Let me see whether I can find where his substitution indicator is. Uh, he was subbed off in the 70th minute, so he he played a, a decent amount of, of time. But of course, he he arrived in pretty good shape as it was. Um, and then the other new signings, I doesn't look like any of them are on the bench even. No. Oh. So. Even Sigali. Oh, Sigali's there. Ah. Sorry, yeah, of course. So, I so the pair of of, yeah. of, of, right, of of backs of uh, centre backs were. Yeah. Both new signings, which which might go somewhere as well to explaining how they managed to give away two penalties, um, and then arguably not close Zavala down. I think that's a bit on the harsh side, though. As I said, I thought it was just a really good goal, but um, you know they they conceded two goals. It's to be understood, and it has to be said that Juan Musso in goal, young Juan Musso, I believe. No, he's uh, yes. I was hoping that clicking on that his name there would give us an age but it hasn't done but I, I think he's, he's not that old for a goalkeeper um, had a pretty good performance as well he made a couple of decent saves um, from I think one of them was from Gamba uh, as I said Gamba didn't have the best day in front of goal um, and perhaps one from Bottinelli I know Bottinelli's a centre-back but a corner or something I think um, 
yeah, let's let's go with that. Um, so well done him, and, and good luck for the future. But Onion, flying high and looking really good. Yes. As are, let me see who else we can get up here. Um, have we talked about, oh we haven't talked about Independiente yet, they're 7th. And Estudiantes got to 11th with that win. So on Monday night, very entertaining match, I thought, when I eventually watched it, having wiped all the blood off the kitchen. Um, being spraying about like a Quentin Tarantino film the previous evening um, when I eventually got round to watching <laughs> Independiente versus Estudiantes I thought it was a, a, an entertaining game but the Independiente was struggling a little bit and so I reached out I don't really like to use that I think that that's, why, that's why Independiente played with their white t-shirt instead of the red mm. yeah yes like a white flag of surrender yes. and, and with no with something that has uh, surprised me Along with the news T-shirt with no no sponsors on it. Yeah, it's nice though. Yes, well, nice, but it's fan. surprising how how they will manage to get incomes. And yeah. Um, anyway, I asked Peter what he made of it because Peter uh, obviously is unable to make it tonight. Uh, well, actually, he probably would have been able to make it tonight if he'd realised that we were going to start recording so late, but we didn't. So. Um, uh, and what he said to me via direct message on Twitter was that he was a little worried when he saw the lineup. And Tagliafico at left back, who's obviously gone to Ajax, as we mentioned last week, is a big loss in defensive unit. But to have Franco and Amorebieta both out injured made things worse. Given that they were both vital to the Copa Sudamericana winning side, I think it would be Holland's first choice centre back pairing at the moment. Um, and he said that given that they were missing, he was not sure why Holland rested Torito Rodriguez because Jonas Gutierrez is not up to the task at right back. Um, no, he, which I would agree with. I mean, it's it's he, nice to see Gutierrez playing again. Obviously, yes. after what he went through at Newcastle, but yeah, he's, he's in the twilight of his career, let's say, and um, not a bad player, but he, he wasn't able to do as much as he yes, was in the past. Even by the by the end of the match, he played in the left back. Mm. Yes, Just he was in the he? place that Tagliafico left, uh, which is quite a, a drop off in quality. Um, and then Peter also adds that he's not sure that Gigliotti. Um, Fernandes and Lucas Albertengo can all fit into one starting eleven. Albertengo on the night was a liability even before being injured. He yeah he got injured by a pretty powerful Whoa. shot to the face um, in uh, the fortieth minute or something. It was just before half time and had to go off with I don't know whether he was actually concussed, but obviously it was a pretty serious head injury. Uh, well, I heard serious, that, no, but yes, a, a I heard that pressure injury. was down. He's and they did the right thing and took him tension. off. Um, and he also adds something very similar to what we were saying with, about River a few minutes ago. He says that doing all the transfer business so late has meant starting the season weakened. If Gaibor, Silvio Romero, who were two players who Independiente have signed since we last recorded, or even Jonathan Menendez and Beron been available, perhaps they could have made a difference. Um, but Silvio Romero, it's there was a, a like the, the same as Centurion and the same as Silvio Romero with River also. A, a, a big noble, a big soap opera, because I, I go, I don't go, I, I'm signing, I'm not signing, and there was a problem with a, a, a bribe, apparently a bribe of one million dollar that a, an agent asked for, and that's why apparently Independiente was not able to to sign Romero, and they didn't want to. Mm. And when Silvio Romero was about to take the flight to Mexico, he finally didn't take didn't take it apparently, and uh, Independiente said that he will, they wouldn't sign him so I don't know whether they signed him or not yeah in the it's gone through now they, they, uh, all, all of this happened after they had tweeted a picture of him in the club shirt in the dressing room 
Um, and then, yeah, it's since been confirmed. Um, so he is an Independiente player now. But obviously he wasn't fit for, for Monday night. Um, a, a decent win for Estudiantes. Sorry, I, I've forgotten which match we were talking about entirely. Um, but yeah, Estudiantes um, got a deserved... Even with the terrible mistake by, by Campaña. Yeah, but even then I thought that Estudiantes were the better side. But you're, you're quite right, I've forgotten how the winning goal came. Um, it was scored by Juan Otero, who had a lively match up front. He was a summer signing, I believe, as well, wasn't he? Um, Colombian? No, he was already in the past season. Oh, he was, wasn't he? Yeah, you're quite right. It shows how much attention yes. I was paying to Estudiantes uh, in the first half of the year. Yes. Uh, but yeah, he, he basically had a, a ball passed right to him from Martin Campagna, who's Independiente's goalkeeper, um, and was able to stab it past him. He had been a bit frustrated in the first half. He hit a couple of efforts over the bar. I think Campagna saved one of his shots as well. Um, but he was getting about in a lively yes. fashion. And um, yeah, I, I would say his best performance for Estudiantes, but I have just said that I wasn't paying an awful lot of attention to them. So yes. it would be a bit unfair of me to do that. Really, um, Emmanuel Gigliotti opened the scoring for Independiente quite early in the second half, um, but Ivan Gomez got the equaliser and then Otero got that um, second goal about 10 minutes later. Um, so, two fairly quick fire goals, and then after that, it was a bit idealist and directionless for Independiente. But I would tend to think, looking at it as a relative neutral, that Independiente. Although we've just said that one of their problems in the transfer window was similar to, to what River did in the transfer window. Yes. Um, on the pitch, and in terms of having an identifiable style of play, Independiente have fewer problems than River. You know, They're going to lose yes. a match occasionally because everybody loses a match occasionally. They play um, better. But they will, they'll bounce back from this and they'll win more than they lose, for sure, you would think. Then they're not going to have too many problems in the new year, I don't think. Particularly once. Um, yes, River will have a... a high pressure against Olimpo because uh, they lost six out of seven matches in the Superliga and they have to win right now with the pitch that, apart from all of the problems that the River has, was in very bad condition. Yeah. Dreadful. Hmm. Because of a problem with the pitch, uh, they, they, the ones who care about the pitch uh, had a problem with the a product they had to put on it and, and they burned it. Okay. Uh, you, when they w- Quintero was when had uh, they they had the, the Quintero present, uh, presentation or while well, they the having the ball in his feet and that mm. we saw the pitch that was more yellow than green. Oh. Uh, and having not paid any attention to the presentation, uh, uh, only a few people noticed about that because of course the important thing was that Quintero was a player, a new player for River, mm. but when he did. Uh, some tricks with the ball behind him was a pitch in very bad conditions huh. uh, and of course Gachardo had a, a, uh, talked about this and said that this is a problem because River wants needs to play with the ball in the over the the, the, the floor and well which is not true because River is not playing well it's not an excuse but apart, apart from that that's true that uh, the pitch was bad mm. and they are working uh, a lot in the even in the smaller words to, to try to to put it better. Yeah, uh, I'm going to correct myself by the way regarding Independiente. Jonas Gutierrez started at, in on the right hand side of a central midfield too, uh, not at right back. I was mm. confused by, oh. as you quite rightly pointed out, he finished the game playing left back, um, but he did not start the game playing right back. The, the right back at the start yeah. of the game was the first choice, Fabricio Bustos. Um, 
Okay, other results from the weekend. Vélez against Defensa Justicia, I think we should mention, um, because it was, as I said, Gabriel Hainsey's first competitive game in charge. And a, a clash between two teams who want to get the ball down and play it. We, we've mentioned several times how Defensa Justicia um, like to play football the right way, as fans of all clubs who try to play that way call it. Um, you know, Ariel Orlando's previous team, indeed, before Independiente. Mm-hmm. Um Vélez were more parsimonious in their shooting. That's a word I'm guessing you've not heard before. Uh, stingy. Um, but uh, they they did a, a fairly decent job on the counter and away from home and in Hainsey's first game in charge. And they got formed when they could. Um, and the penalty, which was scored by Luis Amarisha, as I said earlier, in the 28th minute, um, was sort of... It was a bit of a funny one because I felt like at the time they maybe didn't deserve the lead and then they went about justifying it once they had the lead if that makes sense they, they started to sort of play themselves into the game only after scoring the goal um, but it was overall a, a pretty decent match a pretty decent performance but I think that that's, that thing of being at ease or were parsimonious like you said has to do with Haynes I think he's uh, has to, it has to do with him with mm. his way of being perhaps he, his way of life and and uh, the team, if the team plays like this, I think that's because of him. Uh, even when he, after the match, pushed a cop, the match finished and, oh, yeah? he, and there was a cop in front of him and he pushed it away. Huh. It's funny, but uh, why, apart why from was this, that, when was this like a violent push or a no? It was apparently he was shot in front of him and he wanted to pass through and and the cop was there and he did this like. Uh, <laughs> But apart from that, he I think he's a, a, a coach that will have will bring this this thing to the if even with uh, if especially to the kids that mm. are on the team, as Sarte couldn't uh, still couldn't uh, play, so it's uh, I think a good a good thing from him. The other match that I'm going to just briefly discuss before we take a break is New Orleans against Arsenal because. It was yet another defeat for Arsenal, but they came so close to getting a point. Um, and it would have really been quite embarrassing for Newells, wouldn't it? But Hector Barrena um, scored in the 91st minute to eventually spare their blushes. Um, I mean, failing to beat Arsenal de Sarandi at home is quite a bad result. And Newells fans were not particularly happy with this. They, they were saying, look, Hainte is managing Vélez. Um, we have other, you know, ex-Newells players doing various things in managerial positions, and we don't have a manager. And I mean, they do have a manager. Juan Manuel Juan Manuel Shop is the Newells manager still, um, and they're not particularly happy with him because they're not really playing very well. They look completely reliant on Brian Sarmiento for any creativity, which is fine when Sarmiento is, you know, got out of bed on the right side that morning. Um, but if he got out of bed on the wrong side, it. it he can go missing. He's been more consistent at Newell's than he has elsewhere, it has to be said. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he supports them. Um, but, you know, it, it just it, it doesn't look particularly well joined up. And they also look like they're missing no end pass at they, the back line. Finally sent to Bologna. Indeed. Not yes. a player who we mentioned an awful lot because he goes about his job very quietly. Um, but he, he signed for Bologna he supposedly I think we mentioned this last week actually he, he was loaned to Lanús but that appears to have fallen through <coughs> that's another one of these things that 
the websites that we were looking at were reporting it as a, a fact when in fact it was just a yes, rumor. The, the same website saying that the, he was uh, abroad to, to Bologna and uh, you scroll down and it said that it was unknown to Lanús. Yeah. Precisely, yeah. Um, but anyway, he, he now definitely is at Bologna and uh, from what I've heard he might go to Montreal Impact or he might stay in Bologna. It depends. Oh. Um, but yeah, Montreal Impact on loan, obviously. Um, but yeah, they look like they're missing him a little bit. Although, having said that, his, his I guess, the, the person who's come in most uh, definitely as a replacement, Hector Barrera, is the person who scored the winning goal. So perhaps they're not missing. Yes, after a miss of a, a national defender, which was horrible there with the clearance. Mm. And uh, of course, uh, the ball. Oh, was complete air kick, yeah. From, yes. It was from a corner, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I forgot because it says here that it was scored from open play, but in fact you're quite right. Yeah, there was a uh, who was that? Monteserrin, Corbalan. I think Corbalan. Yeah. Or well, I don't remember exactly the the, the player, but uh, it was dreadful. Yes. Um, so that leaves Arsenal. Well, okay, we can now go through the positions really quickly, and then we'll take a break. So positions. Positions, positions. Boca Juniors are top of the Superliga with 33 points. San Lorenzo second with 27. Union a third on 25. Tacheres and Huracan both have 24. They're separated only by goal difference. Belgrano have 23. Independiente have 22. Is it the top seven to the Libertadores? Top six? Top six. Top six yes. plus the Copa Argentina winners. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and then the Copa Sudamericana places at the moment, I think they're down to 11th, if I remember rightly. So that would make it Argentinos Juniors um, on 20 points, Colón on 20 points, Godoy Cruz on 20 points, Estudiantes on 20 points. And then San Martín in 12th on 20. Atletico Tucumán have 19. It's, it's pretty close, actually, isn't it? All of those from San Lorenzo downwards. It's just that big six-point gap at the very top. Um, in the relegation table, you'll know that we didn't get down as far as River because, as Andres mentioned earlier, they're 20th. Um, in the relegation table, the relegation zone is still, to be honest, looking pretty well made up. Chacarita, who you will remember lost 1-0 to Godoy Cruz, are bottom of the relegation table. Arsenal, who we just spoke about, a second bottom. Neither of those clubs have as much as a point a game now. Um, Tempele and Olimpo complete the what would you call I was going to say triumvirate and then I realised it was actually four clubs the, not three the ones that will for sure go down yeah but I'm trying to work out the English word for for a triumvirate but if it's four things a, a quarumvirate let's call it that they complete the quarumvirate um, of relegation threatened clubs uh, Temple having lost 3-0 to Atletico Tucumán and Olimpo having where is their result lost 2-1 at home Belgrano. to Belgrano who until recently we would have called a direct relegation rival I think possibly um, Tigre just outside, just. I mean, they're nine points better off than Olimpo from the same number of games. Patronato uh, seem to be picking up enough points to keep just above, but I think they're going to have trouble next year. Um, and then Venice or Akam San Martin. But it is looking increasingly um, like the relegation picture is that little bit clearer um, as long as Tigre don't get sucked back down, which is a big if, or a big as long as, but we shall see. Um, for now, we're going to take a break, refill our glasses, and we'll come back for the second half where we will answer some listeners' questions and talk about one or two rumours that I have heard in the last... Sorry about that, I was playing with something in my fingers and it just snapped. Um, talk about one or two rumours um, that I have heard in the last week, so don't go away.
before we get on to the boring administrative stuff, uh, there's one thing that Andres pointed out during the break we had forgotten um, to mention last week, which is that Pablo Aymar has played his last match as a professional footballer, like as actually a semi-professional, or as a competitive footballer, because the team he's playing for uh, are not fully professional, surely. Um, in the Copa Libertadores last week, he played for... who are his hometown club a club who without actually making that much of a fuss about he has been sending money back apparently throughout his career to to help run them Um, I believe he's going to be running for president of them or something at some point in the future and he'll probably win Um, they played in the Copa Argentina last week against can you remember? Desamparado de San Juan oh Desamparados the the desperate ones yes Nacional B um, and they lost well they actually hit Aymar's last game was a, a nil-nil draw but they had lost the first leg 2-1 in San Juan um, this is the Copa Argentina preliminary phase which means that they're out and it means that Aymar's career is over Marcelo Bielsa was in the stands to say farewell to him watching that game um, and he's been doing some media appearances and stuff in the week since particularly on ESPN the other day he, he did an interview um, alongside, well, alongside, they were both talking from from separate places because they were on the telephone, and I had a camera in front of him. Uh, but with Juan Roman Riquelme, of course, they're they're two idols of uh, great rivals in Argentina, but um, they've always got on very very well. They were saying that every time they play against each other in their career, they always swap shirts afterwards with one another. Um, and they've kept each other's shirts and Riquelme said that Aymar played better than him and supposedly Aymar was the player who um, Louis van Gaal actually wanted at Barcelona when they ended up getting Riquelme because of the World Club Cup performance against Real Madrid a couple of months before um, so yeah it was uh, that's an emotional farewell yes. he played with his brother Andres Aymar oh he did didn't he yes uh, and his father also played of course before before both before both uh, in that team so it's like a family team mm. indeed so farewell Pablo if you're listening which yes. you're not but yeah farewell anyway um, and the administrative stuff the it's interesting so f- first of all we've had um, an indicator from Fernando I'm never sure how to say his surname but the guy who writes for La Nación who has a four letter surname Cis is that how you say it, it it's I think it's like that yes. it's C-Z-Y-Z is, is the surname um, if he's listening which I I don't, again, I don't think he does, but there is a greater chance of it um, than of Pablo Aymar listening. Um, and uh, I know that one or two of the guys from La Nación follow us on Twitter, so uh, possibly, if he's listening, then Fernando, I apologise. And if you speak English, then you're welcome to come on the podcast sometime if you want. Um, but he's generally quite well informed about goings-on at the AFA and uh, reports a lot of things before they actually get confirmed. And he says, first of all, something that we're not particularly surprised to hear, um, because it's been talked about for the last year and a half or so, which is that after the World Cup, there will be another transitional championship in the Argentine Primera, in the Superliga, in order to take us back to a February to December season. We were going to get this at some point, because we know that they want to go back to a February to December season, um, to line up better with the Copa Libertadores in Sudamericana, and that, that will be, well, it's going to be really awkward, isn't it? But if it means a bit more football then I'm all for it yes because this year has felt like a robbery we've got 27 rounds of fixtures over the course of 12 months that's only half of the year it's you know if they played the whole season just back to back then it would be over in 6 months it's it's a joke Um, and this is one of the things that the the 30 
now it's 28 of course team Superliga um, structure has, has robbed us off um, and another is that this is going to result in a major reorganisation of the lower divisions and the end of the Nacional B as we currently know it the Nacional B being the second division as uh, most listeners will be aware um, what we don't know or at least what I haven't seen possibly we might know it we in the sense of it might be known um, is what the new Nacional B is going to look like what the lower divisions are going to look like but of course Claudio Tapia the, the current AFA president has come from the lower divisions and, and has got a lot of their votes behind him um, so this might actually be a reorganisation that is genuinely going to happen and is going to actually put some influence and, and some increased standards back into the hands of the lower clubs uh, which is the sort of thing that Julio Grandona was always saying and only really ever giving just enough to get the votes out of for him um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens and watch this space because obviously we'll be um, covering all of this on Hand of Pod over the year because you know we like to talk about that stuff as well as well as what goes on the, on the pitch um, we mentioned the Libertadores didn't we we mentioned that the qualifiers have started and the Banfield drew 1-1 Yes, that's right, yes. We, we, well, we have done now, anyway. So let's move on to some questions. Joseph Sexton says, Hello, guys. Celta Vigo have just signed the 21-year-old ex-Newell's old boys for Lucas Boche from Torino. What can you tell us about him? Lucas Boche was River as well, yes. wasn't he? Yeah, he was Look, rubbish. Yes, he looked uh, that he will be much better than he finally was. Sorry. Oh, oh bollocks. I'm sorry, Alex. Oh, what? And Andres had a mosquito. Just it just landed on his head, and I was he was watching me, and I was just very gently slapped him, and it's flown off. I couldn't kill it. Sorry. Carry on. Boche at River was was pants, and yes. at Newell's he was not that good either. And then he somehow got to move to Torino. Yes, when well, he was about uh, apparently uh, uh, he had apparently to come back to River after the loan in Newell's, and he decided he wanted to go to Europe and and play for Torino. Um, he didn't do, I think, uh, the things that he, uh, when he started to play, uh, it was uh, uh, mentioned to do. Uh, it was, uh, 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 I think, a, a wing or, or a, an outside striker, I mean, mm. a striker that plays in the side, like, I would say, Pavon, for example. Well, I think he started off playing as a centre-forward and they moved into the yes. wing because they realised he couldn't shoot straight. Yes, I think that, well, that is. That was how it seemed to me, anyway. Could be because of that. Yes, it's a normal, I think, striker. Not nothing wonder. Yeah, as, as a winger, I can't remember whether it was him actually or whether it was somebody else. But I, th- I seem to remember saying at one point about one of them that as a winger, I think they could be fairly decent. But that as a centre forward, no. And he's not going to score many goals from the wing. I, w- I wouldn't think, without having a clue how he's played at Torino, obviously. Um, you know, he, he might be that he finds his. Uh, place in the world in, in Vigo and suddenly catches could be, fire there could be a player but that comes from team to team and with no nothing nothing remarkable there yeah. uh, a journeyman I think um, Chris Hartley says Argentine players in the past have been renowned for shocking haircuts who out of the current crop oh I like that pun well done Chris haircut crop um, has the worst worst haircut in current Argentine football see I've been sort of since Juan Pablo Sorin retired there are not, not that many. Argentine right hair, and, and I think really it, it, it's something that started with Daniel Pastorella taking over the national team as manager, right? Because he had an actual rule about it. Normalised. Um, Argentine footballers' hair has got depressingly boring. 
the most exciting thing you'll see now is somebody like, I don't, I don't know whether he has, but Ricky Centurion or somebody of that ilk getting a ridiculous pattern shaped into his head. But you see that all the time yes. in the English Premier League. Yes, we well, don't so. have any Paul Pogba's or, or, or Arturo Vidal's. No, yeah. exactly. And, and I mean, even then, it's not dreadful exactly. It's just a style that I wouldn't get in my own hair. Well, we're not talking like massive mullets, like Nestor Gorosito style. Uh, so, of the current crop of players. I'm struggling. No, I can't think of any off the top of my head. No. Sorry, Chris. Uh, Darren Paul says, where does Musso... Oh, we mentioned him earlier. Where does Musso rank with other keepers in Argentina? I think he's a star in the making. His agility and fluidity is very impressive. Give him a few years and I think he'll be a world beater. I'm biased, of course, but I think he's great. Um, Yeah, as I said, he was really good against um, Union, even on the losing side. And he's been, you know, pretty... Impressive in, in fits and starts for Racing so far, and he's what twenty one, I think. I'm going to yes. Google it now. It's yes, quiet, isn't it? y- youngsters uh, going being goalkeepers of, of big teams is complicated because as, as Augusto Batasha has discovered. Yes, uh, that, yes that's another, another example who uh, had to leave River because of the mistakes he made. Uh, he was a goal. Uh, he's a, a, a great goalkeeper, but uh, the several mistakes he made. Uh, well, of course. It, yeah. it made him go to another team. I, I think he'll improve at Atletico Tucumán. But back to Musa, he's 23. He's 24 in oh. May. Um, so he's not quite as... Oh, no. So he's, yeah, about the same age as Batasha, in fact. And, and for as I said, for a goalkeeper. Young. Um, Alberto Batasha had his debut in, in Atletico Tucumán against Temple And he saved a very, very good ball that was almost in the short, in a small box. Mm. Uh, I think Atletico Tucumán was winning 1-0 right at that point not 3-0 yeah. uh, and or 2-0 I don't remember exactly the, the result that was the match at this po- at that point but the, the one the ball he said was was very very good uh-huh. so uh, I think that he will improve a lot there in Tucumán yeah I hope he does I hope he does well um, Musso yeah if, if he can take the heat of, of as Andres says playing for one of the big clubs um, then I see no reason why he shouldn't uh, go on to develop from here. Um, Darren also asks, Primera and Ben Nacional kicks back off this weekend. You lads reckon Boca Unidos can survive? Personally, I reckon they're toast unless they can perform a miracle. Let's have a look, as we always do when these questions come up, at the Primera and Ben Nacional table for the first time since the last time one of somebody asked us these questions. It was probably Darren. Um, the relegation table has hmm well yeah okay so how many teams are going down from Primera Bay Nacional do we know oh it's six isn't it yes yeah so yeah it doesn't look good for Boca Unidos um, Deportivo Riestra have had points do- docked they, they had a lot of points docked in fact because they're on minus seven now um, Flandria Quilmes and Sarmiento Sarmiento were in the Primera last season and they're wow and Quilmes god they're doing awfully they're down there um Boca Unidos are just above them, and then Moron, if we're right about six teams going down, make up the uh, the relegation zone. I would agree, because if you look at that, the, the teams sort of down around here, and the, the points tallies for this season so far, um, everybody else, every single other side, apart from Ferro, who are being held up by a couple of excellent seasons earlier on, um, are into double figures for this season, and Boca Unidos are only on six. Um... So without really analysing, this is one of the useful things about the Promenio is that we can pretend to know about the lower league relegation situation when we actually don't. Um, but without really analysing it too deeply, I would agree that Boca Unidos clearly need to 
there needs to be a big improvement there because seven points from however many games have been played so far in the Bay Nacional um, 12 11 how many have they played yeah 12 yes. uh, is is really not good enough so yes they are toast Andres yes I, I think the same we're in agreement yes. um, John Allison says if you'll forgive me an intervention oh on Musso uh, this is because John is also a Racing fan um, he said he's got talent but there is a long way to go he's a solid keeper with good reflexes but arrives late when he dives for example the goals conceded against Union Hopefully he just needs more leg strength and everything will be fine. John is actually a sports coach. Um, he coaches uh, a very successful women's rugby team here oh. in Argentina. Um, who uh, I think they're up to the top flight now. They won the second division last season. I, I was asking about this last time I saw him, but it's at the pub quiz and I'm often quite pissed afterwards, so I might, might be misremembering this. Um, also, John, while I've got you, if you could send me a Facebook message and let me know where the pool club is that you told my girlfriend you've been playing at recently, I would be enormously um, grateful because I've been looking for venues to practice at nearby and can't find them um, that was just a out of podcast moment and now we'll go back into the podcast um, Darren says oh no sorry that's a separate conversation we're having John also asks just how many bottles of Fernet have you got through over the seven or eight years whilst recording the podcast La Liga Gav reckons 556 unless they're cheapskates and making one bottle last between them um La Liga Gav appears to think that we drink several bottles of Fernet per recording. It, it's a liqueur. Well, it's a liquor. Um, so it would be like getting through 556 bottles of rum in 279 oh. um, podcast episodes. Uh, one litre of Fernet mixed with, in my case, tonic water and everybody else's case, Coke, uh, lasts about, because I do have some while I'm editing the podcast afterwards as well, um, but I don't really drink it the rest of the time. So one litre of Fernet lasts us about four episodes-ish, sometimes five. Um, so on that basis, have you got a calculator on your phone, Andres? Let's work this out. 279 divided by four. Fun. This is, oh, hang on, it's 280 divided by four, isn't it? 280 and 79. Yeah, so, so, yeah like, so 69.75, so yeah, 280 divided by four. So by next week, if we if, if one, one bottle does last us four episodes, uh, or one litre at least lasts four episodes, then 70. Uh, in actuality, it's probably slightly more, because for most of the podcast's history, we have not been buying one litre bottles, we've been buying 750 centilitre bottles. I've started buying litres more recently because we now go to the, um, with my girlfriend, we go to the, um, and buy them in bulk. Not, not just Fernet, we buy everything in bulk, I'm not an alcoholic. Um, and so I take advantage of the discounts on buying a litre of it. Um, so yeah, 70, let's round that up a bit. Let, let's call it uh, 90, 95, something like that, probably, ish. We occasionally have wine as well. And then sometimes some, some weirdo will turn up and ask for beer because they don't like Fernet. Um, but yeah, that remarkably is the final um, question from this week. And I have just realised while reading it out that I haven't asked anybody for any predictions this weekend, which means we're in for a very interesting Mystic Sam uh, in which I'm... Well, actually, it's not going to be that interesting because I'm going to be uh, just predicting it on my own, the fixtures to come. But I'm going to be making them up off the top of my head as I go along. So don't go away.
Last week, Mystic Simon um, drew... Uh, no, he didn't draw with me. What am I talking about? He beat me. 7-5 uh, on the prediction round. So well done, Simon. That was out of 15 matches, of course, because we also predicted Independiente Central, um, which was being played just as we finished recording. Um, this week, we are going... Or we, I... Do you, do you want to predict, please, Andres? Perhaps next, next week. Okay. This week, I, then, on my own, am going for the following. Argentinos Juniors versus Defensa y Justicia. I will go for a draw. Patronato versus Godoy Cruz. I think is going to be a Godoy Cruz... Hmm. Hmm. Do I? Yeah, let's go for a Godoy Cruz win, since I started saying it. Belgrano versus Lanús. I'm going to go for a draw in that one. Banfield against Atletico Tucumán. Going for a Banfield win. Rosario Central against Union. I'm going for an Union win. Colón against Independiente. Oh, that looks like a good game. Um, draw in that one. River, I think, are going to beat Olimpo because they're in the Monumental on a pitch that they're 100% happy with, as Andres mentioned earlier. Um, Arsenal de Sarandí versus Gimnasia is going to be a Gimnasia victory. Estudiantes against Newells. That looks like potentially quite another decent game, but I'll go for an Estudiantes win. San Lorenzo against Boca Juniors is a Boca victory. Um, perhaps a controversial call, because of course San Lorenzo have a better head-to-head record against Boca. They're one of two clubs in Argentina who have beaten Boca more times than Boca have beaten them. Um, but I'm going to go for the Boca win. Racing versus Huracan, I think, will be a Racing win. Um, Tempele against Tacheres, I'm going for a Tacheres victory. Chacarita versus Belles. Hmm. Hmm. I'll go for a Belles win. And San Martín de San Juan against Tigre. Do not watch San Martín de San Juan against Tigre. It's going to be not particularly good. I think that San Martín will hack out a victory somehow but that's essentially a random match could go either way um, there are a few fairly decent looking matches this weekend though. Colón Independiente should be interesting San Lorenzo Boca is very very spicy um, Estudiantes Newells as well Racing Huracan could even be decent if Huracan players as nicely organised as they did uh, at the weekend and Racing can, can improve a little and well even Central Union um, also yes I, I think all of those look uh, potentially good Estudiantes Newells could be the end of shop I don't know how much pressure he's under given that he was still in the job last weekend and they didn't sack him over the summer you would think that his job is safe but at the same time it's Argentina so yes no, well it, no it's one. modern football yeah. it doesn't really matter about the country does it but, um yeah, it, it, it's a, an interesting one to call that. Um, but yeah, the, the one-sided one, Tachera sort of dispatched Tempele fairly easily if they play with the same concentration and organisation they did against San Lorenzo. Um, and yeah, not all of the others look that great, but I think a relatively high number of, of decent-looking matches this yes. weekend. Yes, there are. We shall raise a glass to that, and we shall leave you. It's been a much shorter podcast than last week's, fortunately. I'm sure you're all very glad of that. Um, the Patreon page will be available soon. I was uh, the reason I mentioned needing a drink at the beginning of the show was because I was trying to log in to um, fill out my tax return uh, just before recording, and um, I couldn't 
I, I did eventually, but only after about three hours of trying because there was something up with the website. Um, and that has caused the Patreon page to not yet be live. But please keep an eye out for it. Thank you very much for the messages and emails that I have received um, from people saying that they will uh, donate. If you responded to the Twitter form, then it has been pointed out to me that giving out everybody's WhatsApp numbers might not be the best idea. So I'm going to ask the team what they think of it. Um, but if not enough people are interested to make it a decent group, we might not do that. We'll look for a different alternative. Um, and in the meantime, please continue to enjoy the podcast. For now, it is thanks and goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. And from me, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.